Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Welcome, everybody. We are trying a a new thing on the podcast today. We figured that you might be getting tired of hearing Colin and I speak. Uh, You anyway. I, I know it's hard to imagine, but somewhere out there, Colin, someone might be getting sick of the, the sound of our voices. I Mom, can't hear. I can't. Can you send me their name? Because I need to have a word with them. Well, it's, it's, it's my mother. I received right. an angry email. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so to break things up a little bit and make things a little different, um, and, and we're experimenting this with this, we, we hope that um, it doesn't go too poorly. <laughs> um, so that we can, we can invite others on as well. But we have a special guest today. So... Uh, I'm sitting here next to uh, Jeff Parker, who's uh, an assistant professor of marketing at the University of Illinois at Chicago, got his PhD at Columbia University in New York, uh, and worked for a long time at uh, Georgia State before moving to Chicago. And uh, the topic of today's discussion, um, real broadly, is is menus. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot about that in the the context of food menus, but the principles really are more general than that. They they apply to kind of any assortment or selection of goods and and what you could do to, to influence people's choice behavior, understand people's choice behavior, maybe guide them towards making uh, good or better decisions from that. So welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for yeah, having me. Welcome, Jeff. Good, good to have you on. Thank you. Hope I don't destroy the podcast. Uh, um, we have low expectations, I think, Colin <laughs> and I. Um, so. And we manage to achieve them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> every time. Every time. Uh, honestly, we were a little more worried about damaging the reputation of our, our guests, which is why we invited you on first, Jeff. <laughs> well, start low and work up. Jeffrey Human Guinea Pig Parker is here joining us today. Um, so I, I thought uh, we'd start off. Um, Jeff, I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Uh, Jeff has published papers on this very area. Um, and and one in particular um, about how category categorizing things differently on a menu leads to different choice outcomes. So I thought we'd start there, and then and then we'll just have a, a discussion more broadly about um, how people choose from menus and, and how menu design can influence those choices. So with that, go ahead, Jeff. Okay. Uh, um, so sometime around 2007, 2008, uh, the city of New York started mandating certain restaurants that they would have to put calorie labels on their food. Okay, and and this was a great moment in time for researchers that are interested in how that type of information uh, influences choices, because we could all observe, you know, if this had any impact on on consumers' uh, food choices. And it was pretty unanimously agreed upon that the answer was maybe it did mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Um, we, we academics are so helpful. Yeah, yeah. So it, it worked 100% of the time, 50% of the time. And uh, the, then that, that really led to a lot of questions about what was going on there because they found in certain contexts that adding calorie labels led to people eating lower calorie foods. In certain contexts, it didn't. And in some contexts, it even backfired a little bit. And so what uh, I and my, my co-author, Don Lehman, uh, thought was, well, maybe there's something going on with the menus, how they're building and structuring these menus. Maybe maybe that's changing how people are using this information. So we tested a very, I would say, simple idea, which was um, the following. In one hand, you can just add calorie labels to all the dishes, right? So you can say the hamburger is 
800 calories, the chicken wings are X hundred calories, what have you. Or on top of that, what you can do is you can group all of your lower calorie, healthier dishes together in a subcategory and label that something like 550 calorie or less dishes. So Applebee's had the under 550 menu, which was pretty popular for a while. Um, so we, we asked ourselves, what happens when you do that? Now, a lot of people's intuitions is that doing that on top of adding, giving calorie information uh, to all the dishes should, if anything, result in healthier choices. Uh, but we actually found the opposite. What happened when uh, was when you just added the calorie information, people did tend to pick a little bit healthier, quite a bit healthier, actually, than if when they didn't have any calorie information. But when you took all these healthy dishes, grouped them together, labeled them as being healthier, low-calorie dishes, people just stopped choosing them altogether. And, and the reason was is because what was going on is people were making these decisions from these complex menus. Uh, they were using the categories and the labels of those categories as a way to screen things out. And in that first stage when they're screening things out just on simple criteria, you see low calorie, you don't tend to think tasty or yummy or filling or any of the stuff that we're generally trying to you know, get when we're at a restaurant. So people just wouldn't consider them at all. Uh, they would eliminate that category, and then they would be choosing basically from all the high-calorie dishes. So actually, low-calorie menus made people choose as bad, if not worse, than when they had no calorie information at all. Well, that's unusual, isn't it? Is that surprising? Uh, yes and no. I mean, we came into it with an inclination that that might be what would happen. We were a little bit surprised by the magnitude of the effect. We kind of felt like... Uh, adding calorie information would be beneficial in both cases, but that also organizing it by calories would maybe attenuate the effect. We didn't expect it to go completely away, but it did regularly and robustly. So, I, I mean, I think that um, part of what, what this uh, research that, that Jeff did speaks to is the, the power of organizing information and um, how what that can do to the way that, that people make these decisions. You know, one of the things that I, I hope we'll dedicate an entire podcast to in the future is, is the idea that people make decisions in stages. And so to Jeff's point, if you provide people with an early on decision of, hey, do you want to eat something healthy or not? Uh, I think Jeff's research points out that a lot of times people are going to say, no, yeah, no, no. Th thanks for the question, but no. Uh, and so if you, you set up your menu such that uh, people have that early on choice of, hey, do I want to? look at this low calorie count section uh, or something else, people will veer towards something else. If you instead break up that low calorie selection and intersperse it throughout, then people aren't making that first choice of do I want to eat healthy or not? They're just kind of evaluating the options as they come to them. Let Beyond Philosophy help you discover what your customers really want, not what they say they want, by uncovering the hidden drivers of value in your customer experience to create real ROI. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. So does that apply then to other types of um, uh, decision making? So, I mean, obviously we're here, we're talking about calories, etc. But, but where else could you apply the principle? This is actually pretty general. Uh, we we uh, like to do it in food uh, a lot of times in, in, in this field because there's a lot of uh, quality of life things that go on with food choices. Uh, but it definitely could be applied any type of 
uh, user interface you might see on a website, um, even the way you organize uh, options on a shelf at a store. By providing people with different categories, you're kind of suggesting to them what decisions they should be making first and what trade-offs they should be making first. So uh, whether it be food or clothing or computers or any, you know any type of product that somebody might make a decision uh, in a, a staged process, this could have a pretty strong influence on what they ultimately choose. So could you think of a, a hypothetical category outside of foods where we might try to apply this? Um, I'm putting Jeff on the spot a little bit because these hypotheticals can be hard to come up with on the fly. But we would essentially need a category where people have this choice, uh, potential choice of choosing on one attribute early on versus not. Is, it, is there a category that jumps out to you? Well, pretty much anything I think that would correspond or relate to sustainability. Oh, that's an interesting one. So, yeah. so let's pick a sustainability category. So what would be a good one? Cleaning um, supplies? No, I was going to go with cleaning supplies, okay. green products, things like that, things where – um, there tends to be this perceived trade-off between things that are good for the environment and things that are good for cleaning. Yep. Um, you know, if you make that sustainability attribute something that they have to consider early on, there's a good chance that they might screen that option out or those options out because so, they, they, you know, believing that there's some negative trade-off they're going to have to encounter with them. So, Colin, if you were to set up that website selling all cleaning supplies, as I know you've been thinking about. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you would face this choice of how do you categorize all of those cleaning supplies that you're selling? Do you categorize them by what researchers would call kind of a taxonomic category? So you've got all of the types together. So like yeah. here's here's all the bleach-based spray cleaners, here's the sponges, here's this stuff. Or do you categorize them in some kind of goal-derived category? Um, like Jeff was mentioning, so we might have like green supplies or something else. So, so, Jeff, your research would predict what if we categorize it in those two different ways? Well, the thing that's interesting here is you have to, I think, think about the impact that these categories have on, on, on two things, what the person chooses and the experience of choosing things. Um, because consumers, you know, search sometimes can be very challenging. It can be a painful process, especially uh, in modern times where assortments can be just incredibly large. I think, uh, what, what's the, I know we're not talking about food right now, but Cheesecake Factory, I think, has 225 yeah. different entrees, right? So choosing choosing from that menu is particularly painful. So I actually threw out my back chafing <laughs> through a Cheesecake Factory <laughs> menu. True story. Well, finally, time for that lawsuit to take effect. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be retiring soon. But, uh, no, no, so, so, so a lot of this has to do, I mean, so a lot of it can impact what somebody's going to choose, which is important. The, the idea here being that if you force them down this sustainable or not path earlier on, they're uh, less likely to choose the sustainable option. Uh, but there's also an important thing to keep in mind is whether or not this is how people would expect these things to be organized. Because when you organize your options in a way that doesn't jive with how they would organize your options, mm -hmm. it makes it very challenging for them to find what they're looking for. The frustration that they can encounter with, I'm going to say misorganized, but it's hard to really qualify what that means, but a misorganized assortment can have very negative effects on the likelihood of them returning or yeah. even choosing uh, to uh, use your service. So does that does that apply? So I'm thinking of if you're, you're doing something that's, say, environmentally friendly, you know, this category is environmentally friendly, you wouldn't be saying this category is not environmentally friendly, or you would be saying that this is a, I don't know, a cheaper category or a more traditional category or whatever it may be. Right, more powerful maybe, more effective, right? Something. Yeah, yeah. 
Are you? It, it, does this only apply then if there's some type of sort of moralistic or lifestyle type choice? Because calories, you know, you're going. Well, do I do I want to eat the hamburger or do I want to eat the lettuce? And you know, you can understand why people would choose a hamburger. Um, and you know, um, but I, I was thinking of sort of comparing that to my daughter works in a museum um, of. Um, and they've got lots of stuffed animals, which they categorize by, you know, different types, you know, obviously birds and mammals and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, but there's not really a either a moralistic or a lifestyle choice when you're choosing between whether you want to go and see the mammals or whether you want to go and see the, um, the birds. Is that making sense, Jeff? This is one of those stupid questions that I told you about. <laughs> Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I, I don't feel like it's a stupid question, but I would say this definitely doesn't only pertain to these types of moralistic trade-offs. It's it, it, it pertains more to the idea of having trade-offs, right? So, so when in choosing a, a low-calorie dish, for instance, um, the perceived trade-off, be it real or not, is that you're going to lose something in terms of uh, taste, something in terms of fillingness, and so forth and so on. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's why you start to see these these sizable shifts when that becomes an earlier. Uh, decision criterion. Um, there are other domains where the, maybe we could think of. So maybe the, the problem is you can start to make everything kind of feel like it's some type of moralistic or normal norm, sure. uh, normal thing to do. Um, but like cars, horsepower and miles per gallon, right? There, there, there tends yeah. to be these trade-offs. So if you have people focusing on how powerful or racy or you know fun they, a car they want, they're going to you know, make that decision and trade off certain aspects, right? Uh, th so it, it's about trade offs, not so much about moral or right or wrong. I mean, right. it, the, that one might be a good example because uh, Hertz, I believe, um, started categorizing cars, rental cars on their websites according to some goal categories. So for a while, I don't know if they still do this, but for a while when you rent from, from Hertz, they actually had a category called green cars, hmm. right? Uh, where it was all of their eco friendly, fuel efficient cars that you could rent. So, I mean, based on Jeff's research, I would anticipate that you might actually get people opting for less fuel-efficient cars in some settings if those, if that is a, that category is kind of grouped separately as opposed to if these fuel-efficient cars were interspersed with the rest of them. So if I had to choose between a full-size car category to look through or a green car category to look through, I might skip the green category, even though there might be very green full-size cars in there, um, as opposed to if, when looking through the full-size cars, there were some green options. In that context, it might be more appealing to me. I might go, oh, yeah, well, if I can get all the advantages of a full-size car, but still get one that's eco-friendly, like, that's kind of nice, as opposed to forcing me to make an eco-friendly choice up front. Uh, I mean, to your earlier question, Colin, I don't think that it would necessarily be moralistic. I would assume you could find some of these same effects using kind of price-quality trade-offs, mm -hmm. um, yeah. In some sentences, you know, or circumstances like do you do you really want to save money on this? Right. These are our cheap options and some people will go for that. But uh, you might find other people who would say, well, no, 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 I don't I don't want to go cheap. Um, and so reject that whole section of the menu, that whole category. So what 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 does this mean for somebody? I don't know, either designing a website or because or or. Um, putting groups of products together because when you think about it most organizations have groups of products don't they you know they have even in the business to business setting they will have 
small equipment and medium equipment and large equipment or targeted different groups different segments of the market what what i'm just thinking of for the listener uh, somebody going right okay what does this mean i should now think about when i when i do this and, and don't feel bad jeff colin literally does this to me every time we talk <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, I think it's going to come down to figuring out what the, what the goal of the organization is. If it's to get people right. to pick a certain type of uh, product, if you're trying so to... So if you want to push them culture. towards a certain product for some reason. Right. Then... So if that's your goal, that this might be something you you could use. Of course, what you're going to want to do then is get a pretty strong, firm understanding of what, what's inferred from these category labels. I mean, it's pretty... A straightforward process of doing that. Um, if it's if it's instead to maybe facilitate or ease the selection process, so maybe you have customers that you know are coming in knowing something that they want. They they don't need to help making a decision. They just need to find right. it as easily as possible. Uh, then you're going to do something quite different, right? You're going to make sure that the way you organize the set jibes with how they are coming in to look for things. Why not let Colin and Ryan speak at your next conference? As you can hear, they're great communicators and can get over a message in a simple, inspiring, and humorous way. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. For some reason, Amazon sprung to my mind, and clearly they're pushing Alexa. Um, so if I if if I'm trying to push customers to their gaining market share, then they would just make that sort of front and center, or they would have things that are leading towards that. Is that is that right? I mean, I think those are principles of general menu design. I think they go beyond what Jeff was researching specifically. Okay. Maybe maybe we can transition um, from Jeff's paper to a, a more broad context. One last note on on that paper, though, if Amazon wanted to push Alexa based on the uh, the findings of Jeff's paper, and correct me if I'm, I've got this wrong, mm -hmm. I think that they would be smart to not push a subcategory called smart speakers, yeah. uh, of which Alexa was a member. Instead, seed their Alexa option into a broader category that, you know, if it's, if it's just like computer speakers or whatever kind of, yes. whatever thing Alexa is similar to. Um, or controls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe the remote control section of, of the website, you know. Yeah. Uh, this is obviously kind of a stilted example. But uh, the idea would be there that by having a special category for it, you give people the opportunity to reject the entire category first as opposed to showing yeah. it to them in a broader category where they might better understand the advantages relative to traditional speakers or traditional remote controls or whatever yeah. it is. Yes, yes. And in fact, just, just out of interest... I actually noticed that because I have Alexa that I use in the house um, that they've started to actually sort of filter it by going, yeah, these are the products that work with it, which obviously makes sense for them to do. Yeah. That, I guess that's a demonstration of your point. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's a demonstration of the larger point that how we organize information really matters in terms of how yeah. customers are going to uh, interpret it and, and evaluate it. Yeah, no, that sounds that sounds good. You you're going to transition to another another point, a wider point. Yes, buckle up, everybody. We're transitioning. Um, <laughs> the, it's, it's not a we very need, we need some music, don't we, of some description <laughs> in future. We'll add it in post. Don't worry about yeah. it. We'll add it in post. <laughs> um, I mean, it, Jeff and I were talking about this actually before we we went live on the podcast. 
there's a, a fair amount of research on kind of menu design, but a lot of it boils down to, to a few simple principles. Um, one of them is, and you actually alluded to this with, with your Alexa example, uh, attention really matters. Uh, and so where the eye goes first will tend to draw a lot of uh, yep. benefit for that, right? I mean, you see this on a Google search page where hardly anybody moves on to the second page, you know, and it's it's those first few that really get um, get a lot of the benefit. You can see this on, you know, Amazon's homepage where whatever they push early on um, or in prominent locations on the page, that tends to get. So if one of your goals is to steer customers in a particular direction, um, then that visual prominence is really one of the key principles you'd want to want to look for. I don't know, Jeff, you have a, do you have a, another key principle of menu design that you favor, that you like? <laughs> well, so something that you mentioned earlier was this idea of, of kind of taxonomic versus goal-derived categories. And, and, and something to keep in mind there is that, you know, when people are coming into these decision situations, do you, are these things where we think they're going to have a clear goal in mind? And if the answer is no, what you can actually be doing is generating a very uh, difficult interface. Yeah, uh, it's hard to find stuff, right? If you think about, it, I mean, there's there's stores, there's um, retailers that do a very good job of organizing things in terms of goal derived uh, categories, meaning that, you know, wh why in the name of God would you find hot dogs next to lighter fluid? Well, right. you know, for obvious reasons, you're going to be grilling them, but you wouldn't know to look for lighter fluid next to hot dogs. So right. it creates it creates these types of issues. So. Uh, there, there is a big trade-off in terms of, uh, you know, if you use these goal-derived categories that you can start to generate you know, cross-functional purchases, which is great, but you can also start to generate a lot of difficulty for your uh, customers as well. I, I mean, I think that's that's a, a great one because, it, you know, it ties into something that Colin, you and I talk about almost every time we, we get on this podcast, which is understanding your customers, right? If yeah. you if you don't know what, what's driving your customer's purchase, whether they are looking in this kind of more natural sense of what are the the physical categories that something goes into, as opposed to like the, what goal do they have when they're shopping? Um, and not even just do they have a goal, but do you know specifically what goal they have? Um, yeah. And then, then you're lost. Yeah, and I think it obviously goes a bit deeper as well in just understanding some of the hidden drivers that, again, we talk a lot about. So what, what people tell you, I mean, it's the classic stuff we talked a bit about, uh, environment, classic stuff of uh, people saying that they are environmentally friendly and then they never do any recycling or anything like that. Yep. So, you know, what people say and what people do are two different things. Okay, I'm, I'm conscious of time, so I guess we're going to wrap this up. I'm just going to ask you any, so what? how would you sum up a couple of pearls of wisdom? What would you say to somebody listening to this, the podcast? What would you just do, and you can reiterate what you've already said, uh, but what would you say? What would be the two takeaways that you would say people need to think about? I would, I would say be careful of your best intentions with how you categorize things. Uh, yeah. Sometimes we try to make things salient and, and very obvious, uh, and sometimes that can backfire. And uh, it's something to be very mindful of when you're designing uh, menus or, or displays. Uh, and it's not, not, not simple. It can be very nuanced. So it often takes a little bit of research and, and a deep understanding of your customers to make sure you don't uh, trip, uh, excuse me, trip up in that way. Yeah, and I, and I think it absolutely, Jeff, you know, it just um, makes you go, Actually, the, you know, how this all started and the conversation started was, was you know, uh, obviously putting calories on the menu. And your immediate reaction would be, well, of course, if you put higher calories on the menu, people are going to choose the ones with less. And 
Um, so I guess it's sort of that unintended consequences, isn't it? And the danger mm. is is that people that don't know what they're doing get involved, <laughs> uh, yeah. and just just sort of uh, then suddenly wonder why that they they have all of these um, all these problems. So, yeah, and I think I think some of these decisions are made kind of heuristically based on intuition, and and, yeah. and and it's a particularly dangerous area, I think, for that type of decision. Yeah, yeah no, I agree with that. There's so much drive to innovate, um, you know, and we want to try new things, um, and that can be great, but w when we recognize that some of the intuitions that people have are based on their previous experiences, then if you're innovating in such a way that it, it's making it harder for people to understand and intuitively kind of uh, go with what they're used to, um, it may completely backfire uh, in terms of, you know, making things worse for your customer because you don't understand what's really driving their decisions. No, good point. And every time I now have a have a um, a burger in a in a, a McDonald's or whatever, I'm I'm going to think of you, Jeff. So oh, um, wonderful. <laughs> and every time I eat hot dogs doused in lighter fluid, with Jeff. Conversation. Again, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay. So thanks everyone for listening. Um, if you've got any suggestions or any feedback on how our, our, the podcast is doing, then please uh, just ping us an email uh, at uh, contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's uh, contact at beyondphilosophy.com. And we look forward to hearing from you next week uh, under the category of podcast. Uh, so thanks very much. Bye-bye. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. <laughs>